And the rest of you that are here, turn on back into 1 Kings 22. Uh, enough people were asking me about the things I left off last week that we do want to go back and revisit this and help out with some of that. But then there's another part we want to go on to as well. Now, there will always be signs around us. We all hear about signs of the times and signs of the end and signs this and signs that. There will always be signs around us. For those who hear the voice of God through his word and his prophets, they will see the events of today differently than those who cannot or refuse to hear what the prophet or what the words are, are what the word of God is saying. So we're going to take a look at that and see how that should change us. In 1 Kings 22, verse 12, though, we're not reading over the entire chapter, just the parts that I wanted to spend a little more time with. And this is after the kings had come together and they had sought after the prophets. We had the 400 prophets who came in and said, go, be successful. All these things, all 400 were speaking about the same thing. We told you that whenever you see a large number of people all saying the same thing, more than likely the source is not God. The source is the same, but it's not very likely that it's God. I challenge you to find a time in the Word of God where a, a group, a whole group of people, all had the same message from God for the same group of people. God usually gives His message to one, maybe two people, and sends that, that there, and uh, there to determine whether this prophet, this uh, person is from God or not. But here in verse 12, And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hands. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encouraged the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. People today will still try and influence men and women of God to speak words in line with the world. And we are never to give in. This is nothing new. This has been done all through. The pressure is to be in line with the world. These are not representative of the world, but they're not God. If they're not God, they're going to be of the world. Go into the New Testament, you'll see some of the teaching on that. We are of God, little children. There's others that are of the world, but we are to be of God. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you shall tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? More than likely he had some sarcasm there. And So then he comes out, verse 17, Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, that These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Now, I'm going to make the point on this again. I don't know if, how many of you had gone through the Word of God, began to think about this, but can you think of times where the prophecy, where the, the prophet, the message that he brings is not a word from God, but a description? This is not the only time it was done. I gave you the John. John the Apostle did the very similar thing, but there's other prophets who have done the same. You're going to see that either a prophet hears the Word of God or he sees one or the other. If he sees, he's going to describe it. If he hears, he's going to say it. But both are on par. 
The difference between it is when a prophet says, thus says the Lord, those are words you hang on. When he describes something, now you have the words of the prophet mixed in, but he's describing what he saw, which was of God. Sometimes our descriptions are not quite up to par. But when you have, thus saith the Lord, those words, we have to keep coming back to, what did God say? Because my understanding of what God said may change as my knowledge grows, as different things are are made clear to me. So the king said to Joshua, did I tell you he would prophesy, he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? So even a heathen king could tell this was not a good word. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Now he's identifying this as the word of the Lord, yet there is no word. It's a description. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Now we'll stop right there and take a look at this host of heaven. This is one of the things people were asking about. And we have covered this before, but just want to make sure that everybody's understanding of this. The host of heaven is not the heavenly host of the New Testament. Understand, they are completely different. Here's a couple of differences. First, the host of heaven is before where? The throne of God. The host, the heavenly host that shows up for the shepherds are on the earth. In the atmosphere, but they're on the earth. If you've ever heard Rick Renner talk about this, he says that that host of heaven, this great number of angels that is there, not only is a, provides something magnificent for the shepherds, but also blocks Satan from seeing what's going on. Now, I've never really thought of that on my own, but I can see where some of that could be, be certainly true. But anyway, the heavenly host in the New Testament has no correlation to what we have here that Micaiah sees. Because what Micaiah sees is up in heaven and it's at the throne, the throne of God. God is sitting on his throne and the host of heaven is there in front of him. Now people have trouble with this because they see this host of heaven and they think that he has dispatched an angelic being or some kind of supernatural being that is of him to go and to be deceptive. But when we have the host of heaven appear, there are times where it talks about the people who worship the host of heaven as an idolatrous worship. That will tell you right there that that phrase, the host of heaven, does not refer to something good or not completely good. So when you have the host of heaven there before the throne room, you have either a group of bad supernatural beings or a group of mixed bad and good supernatural beings. The one thing we do know is that it is not a complete 100% good group of supernatural beings. It's either all bad or it is a mixture of bad and good. And so we got this host of heaven that is there. And different ones are proposing ideas of what they can do. Now, how are they in heaven? How many have ever had a problem with evil spiritual beings being in heaven? Anybody have a problem with that? Then you'll have a hard time with the word of God. Because in the word of God, 
who stands before the throne making accusations against us day and night? So if Satan can be in there, why can't others? Now, Satan is granted access to the throne until when? Midway through the tribulation where he is cast down. He understands his time is short and so the end of the tribulation, it is escalated. We are not at the midpoint of the tribulation, which means it is still going on the same way. So to have Jesus or, to, or have God at the throne and have an evil spirit stand up in this host of heaven is not going against anything in the word of God. Because if Satan has access and is making accusations, then certainly this is going on too. Now that may burst your bubble about getting to heaven and it all just being a place of all just, you know, great and, and wonderful things. I don't know how that mix happens. I don't know exactly what goes on. We're not given a whole lot of stuff. Maybe it's just over this particular throne. This is where the host can come. And maybe the rest of heaven they're not allowed to get into. That could be. I, I don't know. I can't imagine that people that have died and gone on to heaven are having a whole lot of interaction with evil spirits. Or evil you know, fallen angels and stuff like that. But I know in this particular instance, there is a place in which they come and apparently there are some restrictions on those spiritual beings as to what they can and can't do. And guess who's at the head of that? This is why we've talked about spiritual beings going beyond their bounds. There are apparently some bounds set up. Now, they have the opportunity to go beyond it. If they do, they will pay a price. And so here, they want to make sure they don't pay a price. And so they're pitching ideas of things to do. And if they get the okay, they can go and they can do it. Apparently. I don't know that this happens with everything. I just know what happened here. And so we just go with that particular thing. What, what was it to be like for Micaiah to talk about a situation in heaven that no one has ever seen. No one's ever seen this scene. No one's ever described this scene. No one's ever written this scene down. He is the only one. How much confidence must you have in what you saw from God to write something in the Word that would give theologians trouble thousands of years later? And yet he just, he just rattles it off like, well, this is so. And he's the only one saying it. So the host of heaven that is there, there were certain evil spirits. Some of them came up and, and wouldn't, you, wouldn't you know it? Some of them had some ideas and God said that won't work. Imagine that. Evil spirits, fallen angels, had ideas that God said, well, that won't work. And uh, another one got up. Now, don't you know that, that God would know what would work? Why doesn't he just tell them? Why doesn't he just say, hey, you, come on over here. I got an assignment for you. Because he's not in the business of handing out assignments to evil, to the, to evil kingdom. But he has put some restrictions on it. So it needs to be their idea. It would seem. So that one gets up and says something. Another get up, says this. This one gets up and he has this idea. I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And he said, well, you're, you'll succeed with that. Go ahead and do it. So where do we leave off at 23? Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours 
and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, the Lord didn't send them. The Lord asked for ideas, and one had this idea. He said, boy, yeah, you'll, you'll succeed with that. But they're still writing it down as the Lord sent it. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Chanana, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the Spirit from the Lord go for me to speak to you? See, they still think they're speaking by the Spirit of God. They're representative of the Spirit of God. They think they're speaking by the Spirit of God, but they are not. Just because someone is of a false spirit doesn't mean they know it. It's for you to determine. Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on the day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace... The Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. Compare that to some of the things we're seeing today where some prophets who have gotten up over the years, some this year, some in years past, and spoken to certain situations that we were facing as a country and said things in a certain way and then afterwards reneged on it. Came back on it. I was listening to one prophet, one of the ones that I, I gave you the name of, and um, I was listening to him, and he was exhorting these prophets who have spoken according to the word of the Lord, what, what he had given them, and now we're going back on it. And he exhorted them, says, I don't care what it looks like, you don't go back on the word of God. I'm paraphrasing, but, <laughs> and I thought, well, I like this guy. I like this guy. Now, understand, he doesn't dress for church like I would dress for church. He comes in with a leather coat, long hair, <laughs> all sorts of stuff going on there, but... I, I don't care about that so much as, as, as long as the, the person is seeking after God and has the, what I can judge as, a, as is coming from the right spirit. Then um, I'm going to be much more apt to listen and to take note. How many have spent more time pursuing prophets trying to determine which ones are of God? Okay, well, appreciate both of you. <laughs> you do have to seek after them. It is our, our role. We need to seek after them. There are going to be false ones. And we have to be careful with that. Now, that question that was raised, what do you do when you encounter a false prophet? My first thought was wrong. I'll just tell you straight up. My first thought was wrong. <laughs> my first thought was, well, you ignore them. You just tune them out. That's wrong. You cannot do that. And I was brought back to this. I don't know if any of you, I, I may have mentioned this once or twice or, or, or so, but... Uh, more so my, probably in private conversations. When I go out and run, I have a special set of headset, headphones that I, that I use. And I've, I've used these for probably close to a decade. I've gone through a couple of different models of them, but they are so good. I just love these things uh, because they don't go in your ear. They go in front of your ear. And so your ears are open. Now, there's a couple of reasons you want that. One is if you're running and sweat builds up in your ear, that's bad. There's a lot of moisture in there. It can't get out. And that's bad for your ear. So uh, if you ever do anything like that, don't put stuff in your ear because then the sweat can't come out. And infections and all kinds of bad stuff will happen in your ear if you allow that to go on. So don't do that sort of stuff. Anyway, that's not the, the, the point. The main, main thing for having the ears open is I don't run inside. I don't run on treadmills. I despise treadmills. I, I pick on people who have treadmills. We have this one guy. He's a cross-country runner. cross Fast as can be. I mean, he is just a fast, fast guy, young, young kid, young guy. 
And um, he one time, he put up, one time, I see, often times will put up one of his, his uh, little Strava uh, comment, you know, he posts his, posts his workout. He said, I stayed inside that I didn't want to get wet. This is a cross-country guy. He's not a track guy. Track guys, I understand that. Track people want to stay inside where it's nice and warm. They don't want to go outside in bad weather. But cross-country people don't have that mentality. Their, their mentality is different. And I know him to be a cross-country runner. So I put up there and I go, wimp. I did. I did. I wrote her out there, wimp. He never answered me. <laughs> he never replied, never responded. <laughs> I put a few other things to it. Well, maybe I've offended him. So I, <laughs> so I went out there and, and said something good. He got outside on a cold day and he went running. And so I put up a note on that and he, he responded back to that one. <laughs> But that, I don't. I don't accept that. I despise treadmills. Hate them with a passion. I won't run on them. Other people do, and that's fine if they like them. I just. I just don't like them. It takes all of the fun out of running. I know many people that is the fun of running is being on the treadmill, and that's fine if you like the treadmill. Glory to God. Go in there and enjoy it. But if you're a cross country runner and you get on a treadmill, I am going to pick on you. I'm going to call you out. I will do that. It's all right. There's no other cross country runners in here. So we're okay. <laughs> we're okay with that. But anyway, you have your ears open because you need to be able to hear the sounds of the road. I need to be able to hear when a car is approaching. I need to be able to hear if, if there are sounds that are not right and I need to respond to, I need to react to. I need to hear the sounds that are going on outside. And so the, my, my mind went to this. When you are out running, when I'm out running, I have those things on and I'm listening to some preacher and he's preaching in my ear and that's my, that has my attention. But I am also listening from my ear to hear when a car is coming. And so this was brought to my, my attention on you, you hear those sounds but you don't tune into them. But you hear them to make yourself aware of what's going on around. Don't ignore false teachers. Don't ignore false prophets but hear them as background noise. I'm not, find, I'm not tuned into this. I'm not trying to learn from this. I've already identified this as something I don't need to, to hear, but I need to know what's going on so that I can deal with it, so I can, I can uh, come about it. And I thought about these guys. You know, Micaiah, he heard the false prophets. Do you know that Ezekiel heard the false prophets? Jeremiah heard the false prophets. You can go through the Word of God. They all heard the false prophets. They sometimes mention some of the things that they said. But they heard them as false prophets. So my, my first response was wrong. Don't just tune them out. Don't, don't just ignore them. But stay aware. Because there's some dangers that can be there. And you need to be aware of those particular things. So this messenger who stood up. It is one of Satan's host. Some, I told you uh, last week, some of the wording there, some of the um, um, Hebrew commentators, or, uh, they put that in there as uh, it was Satan himself. It was a familiar uh, spirit. Familiar to, uh, to the situation. Uh, well known, I should say, actually. So, now, just understand, it didn't start with the false prophets. This whole episode did not start with false prophets. It was not a false prophet who got up and said, go to Ramoth Gilead. 
how it started was a thought in the mind of Ahab. So this spirit, who is going to be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets, was first a lying spirit in his head. Spoke things for him to think about. That's where it started. Ahab began to give voice to that. I, I reworded it and totally messed it up. If I left that in, I'm not, I may have taken it out. Do I have an E in yours? All right, then I, I, I took it out, so that's good. But once he gave voice to it, once Ahab began to speak out what was in his head, and he began to talk to others, it began to pick up steam. Then when it picked up steam and he went and he called for the people to come along and go on this crusade, now the false prophets come in to confirm what they sowed. They were the ones who sowed the thought into his head, and then they're the ones who come along and confirm it. That's when the diff- different words of confirmation come in. So just because a confirmation can come in and may even line up with your thoughts does not make it God. You've got to keep that in mind because there are some Christians that are just perplexed by that. Wow, that prophet came and they spoke the very things I was thinking. Yeah, what's the source of what you were thinking? If the source for what you were thinking was wrong, the source of the confirmation was wrong, and you are now on a wrong direction, thinking that God left you that way. Verse uh, 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Judah went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robe. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now he says, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you go into battle with your kingly robes on. You look at these two kings. Ahab has actions based on the prophecy. His actions are based on the prophecy that Micaiah gave him. But they're not actions of faith. They're actions of defiance. He has acted according to the prophecy, but it caused him to change and act defiantly. Jehoshaphat acts in obedience to the king of Ahab, but not to the word from God. When the king of when the king Ahab said, "You go in dressed in your robes, I'll go in without them," Jehoshaphat obeyed King Ahab, not his king. Jehoshaphat has a different king. His king is the king of kings. He didn't obey him. He obeyed King Ahab. That's bad. Now Ahab defied the word of God. Jehoshaphat disobeyed it. I don't know if I put this in your outline or had to take it out, but some believers do more in line with those who defy God's word than they do to line up with it. We've got to be careful about it. Because some believers, they go around, they do more to get in line with those who defy the word of God than they do to line up with the word of God. Don't be one of those who gets in with the group to defy, defy it. Verse 31. Now, I want you to look carefully at verse 31 because I know we didn't get into this at all. Now, the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. Of these three kings, which one is more obedient to the prophetic word? The king of Syria. This is the king of Syria 
who is all manner of evil, and came and tried to attack Israel and take them out. And God, remember the, the, two, the, three, the passage with the three prophets in it? And there were two victories. But the last victory, Ahab let the king go. He wasn't supposed to. But he is, he is going after what, the, what God has, has said he once done. I don't know how much he realizes this, but one king goes into battle and says, you know what, we're not going to go fight all of them. I just want to fight that one. He's more in line with God than the, than the others. We've got more on that here in just a minute. But let's read it on. Verse 32. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and the Jehoshaphat cried out, and it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Who pursued Jehoshaphat? Real clear in there. The captains of the chariots. What are the most feared war, instrument of warfare in this day? It is the chariots. That means that the captains of the chariots took all of their forces to go after the king. They left everything else. They took the might, be in line with, if we took all of our tanks and put them in one place and left all the, all the rest of the men without them. Took all the chariots and they pursued Jehoshaphat because they saw kingly robes and they went after him until he threw his Coverings off and, hey, I'm the king of Judah. Oh, you're not the right one. And they took all those chariots to go fight somewhere else. If you got all the chariots bearing down on a king or defeating all the things in the path, why would you pull back? Because they operated more in line with what God wanted done than the people that are supposed to be under him. All right, keep that in mind here. I wrote this note down. The men of Syria were more obedient to their king than anyone in Israel and Judah to the king of kings. Isn't that a shame? Now, we've got three people here. We've got Jehoshaphat, we've got Ahab, and we've got the king of Syria. Whose side is God on? You cannot deny that God is on one side, can you? God is on one side here. Whose side is God on? I think it's pretty clear it's serious. God is on Syria's side. He is against Ahab, who's an evil king, and against Jehoshaphat because he's aligned himself with an evil king. So now, is it Ben-Hadad's obedience that brings God onto his side? No, because he's, he's a heathen king. He worships idols. He's done a whole lot of things against what God would have done. It cannot be his obedience. Is it the light that Ben-Hadad walks in? Does Ben-Hadad walk in some kind of light of the gospel, of the things of God, that the others don't? No. The guy's an idolater. He's walking in light of idolatry. It is not his obedience. It is not his light. What is it that puts God on the side of Ben-Hadad? This will help you with a whole lot of stuff. You ready for this? It is the purpose that he has been given. 
God is on the side of Ben-Hadad because God has put a godly purpose on this man. That purpose is to kill Ahab. Now understand, Ahab, uh, Elijah, and Elisha have been neglectful in doing what God commissioned them to do, which was anoint Hazael in place to be king instead of Ben-Hadad. And they didn't do it. We've got years after, after this. I think it was what I say last week, seven years, that they hadn't done it yet. And this guy's still king. He's not supposed to be king. So the purpose that was supposed to fall to Hazael has fallen and Ben-Hadad has picked this up. But understand, he's not trying to kill Israel now. He is trying to wipe out the house of Ahab, which is God's purpose. Sometimes we get a problem when God, God's prophets or men or women of God or somehow it comes out that God has anointed people to do things and we don't see the obedience we expect and I don't see the light in them that I expect. Therefore, I reject the idea that God anointed them. No one here has been in that place, right? But you see, the reason that God anointed them is not because of their obedience. It's not because of their light. It is because of their purpose. And if you want a biblical example for that, go back and look at the, the story with Jehu. Jehu did not walk in a whole lot of light. He was not completely obedient to the things of God. But he had a purpose. Because the ones that Hazael doesn't kill, Jehu will kill. The ones that Jehu doesn't kill, Elisha will kill. Between the three of them, we're going to wipe out the house of Ahab. Jehu was so diligent with that. There wasn't much left over for Elisha. But he still, he didn't walk in that great of obedience. He wiped out Baal worship from, from Israel, but he did not take care of the golden calf worship. He still left that go on. Don't have time to get into Jehu. See, many Christians can't make this distinction that God anoints someone for a purpose. And if you want another example to go back in the Word of God, do you remember that there was a king who was prophesied to come? His, his name was even prophesied. Cyrus. Cyrus is an idolatrous king. And if you know anything about the Persians in that day, I mean, oh man, they were, that's an ugly group. For a Christian to be in there, that's a tough group to be in. Daniel had a hard time in with that group. But there was a purpose for Cyrus, and he accomplished the purpose. That purpose was to free Israel, send them back, and finance it. And he was given great abundance of wealth, and he used that wealth to accomplish that purpose. He was anointed for a purpose. There are several in the Word of God you can go back through and find they were anointed for purpose. They were not anointed because they were special. David was anointed because he was special. He had obedience, he had light, and he had a purpose. He had all three going on. But don't think that just because God anoints somebody, they have all three things going on. They may only have one purpose. I need you in this place for a reason. Here's the purpose. And that anointing came down upon them for that. That's hard for a lot of Christians to grab hold of. But it's true anyway. Now the penalty that came on condemned Ahab was death. That was what was projected on him. Jehoshaphat almost reaped the exact same ending as Ahab by siding against God's word. Even though 
Jehoshaphat was called a good king, good king all his days, didn't turn from the left or right. That's what it says about him. It says a lot of good things about Jehoshaphat, but he sided with the wrong thing here. The word of God went out, the prophetic word went out, he decided to side on the wrong side and almost bore the penalty of the one for whom the prophecy was for because he sided with the wrong one. You better be careful what side you pick because the side you pick will determine your future. That's why you got to know, is this prophet of God? Is this prophet not of God? Because you cannot pick them because you like their words. <laughs> More than likely, a prophet is going to upset you. They're going to say things that you haven't seen. They're going to say things that you don't know. They're going to send you in a whole new direction. But when that prophet comes on the scene, you're at a fork in the road. You can go this way, you can go this way, but you're going one way or the other. You either decide to side with what that prophet said. I think this is God. I'm going this direction. Or you say, I am not going to side with him, either because I don't think he's of God, or I don't think he's right, or I don't like it. Whatever it might be, you go against it, you are now on this side. Which means the penalty that falls on those who go against the prophecy will fall upon you, even though you are a chosen one of God. Just ask Jehoshaphat about that. If it was not for mercy, he would have been, he would have succumbed to the same thing Ahab did. Because that purpose that God has is coming down upon that thing. That's why I gotta learn what are the prophets saying. I'm listening to, to prophets. I, I wish more of them would just give me the prophetic word. Stop intermixing all the interpretation. I don't need your interpretation. I want the prophetic word. After that, you can give all the interpretation you want. <laughs> but give me the prophetic word. I listened to one prophet who didn't have a prophecy in it. It was okay. You know, prophet, prophets can teach. They are allowed to teach. But teaching of a prophet is different from the, the prophecy itself. And so this prophet got out there and, and taught. And I was intrigued. I, not really a way that I have looked at the scripture before. I would never teach it myself because I'm a pastor. Pastors don't teach that. <laughs> but he was a prophet. I'm listening to him. Well, he's a prophet. He would teach stuff like this. I wouldn't waste my time trying to figure all that stuff. I mean, once he figured it all out, I was enjoying some of the things he was figuring out. But I said, God, I would not, I would not spend any time trying to figure all that out. But he did because he's a prophet. He's in a different, they go into things in a different way. We got to understand different roles. If you're going to under, if you're going to enjoy the gift that God's given you in a prophet, you got to understand the role. And just uh, just know, you're probably not going to like the way they present it. You're probably not going to like something that they say. You may not like the way they're dressed. <laughs> Remember Elijah? He's dressed different from everybody else. John the Baptist? He's dressed different from everybody else. Nobody else dressed like that. Nobody else ate the stuff he ate. He set himself apart. He's different. Prophets will generally do some things to set themselves apart. They're different. <laughs> Don't let that turn you off. Pastors, teachers, evangelists, they're a lot easier to stomach, <laughs> usually. <laughs> but prophets can be tough. It's all right. It's part of their charm. <laughs> but pick a side. Know that you have to. But you pick the wrong side, you can come under the the condemnation that that word the prophet brought, that, that word the prophet brought to you. Now, you listen to the wrong prophet and you get on the side that that wrong prophet is, guess what happens? 400 wrong prophets are saying what? Go to Ramoth Gilead. 
If you get on that side, what, what do you fall under? The condemnation that the, wrong, that the right prophet said. See how important it is that you know? That's why we're always trying to give you clues, things to help you out into, uh, into this, this sort of stuff. Because um, it's important. The Word of God teaches us some things that are different. And we gave you some stuff last, last week that uh, I don't think I've given you before. But we're not going to try and review all that. We have a couple of things to try and get through here today. But hopefully that helps somebody out that we didn't get into last week. Would you turn over to Jeremiah chapter 43? I don't need to get into all the uh, nuts and bolts of what is prophesied here. just want you to take a look at some things. Now what happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, all these words. Now this is going back. We're, we're jumping in the middle of a story. We've talked about this story a number of times. I think it's been a little while recently. If you're here on the Ezekiel series, there are times we referred back over to this particular prophecy that Jeremiah did. This is when they all came to him and said uh, their, their governor had been killed. They were afraid of Babylon. They came to Jeremiah and said, go get a word for God. Jeremiah went and got a word from God. Ten days later, he comes out and he tells them, don't leave, stay here, it'll be okay. And they didn't believe him. They say, you lie. And that's where we pick up over here. We're not getting into all that story. If you want to go into that story, get the chapters before. 42, I know, gets into it. I'm not sure if it goes back as far as 41. But verse 2, that Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, Jehanan, the son of Kareah, and all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. The same thing that happened in his day, the same thing that happened in Jesus' day, the same thing that happened in the days before, and the same things that will happen in our day. It's the, the same way that it will come about. When the word of God is spoken, people who don't like it will say, you lie, you are wrong, and will never give any substantial reasons. They just make accusations. You lie you are wrong. If that doesn't work, they will attack the character. We're going to give you some things here. In the, we already put some up there. We'll have some other ones up from Ezekiel to help you understand the, the office of a prophet. If you do go through them, if they are of use for you, put something up there. You know, like it. Uh, put a comment up if you have a question. But this way I know you're going through it. So far, no one has gone through it as far as I know. But I uh, put one on up there. It was called the Safe Spaces. And um, that, was, that was one where uh, Ezekiel told them, these places are safe. And they didn't want to stay in the safe places. <laughs> they wanted to go to the other places. Don't you know that the enemy wants to lead you in places that are not safe? Because he wants you dead. He wants you destroyed. God will lead you to the safe spaces. When he gave that prophecy to Jehoshaphat, he told him where the safe spaces were. The safe spaces, it's not on the battlefield. Get out of there. He went out there anyway. And in the mercy of God, he got spared. But notice it put in the Word of God, make sure that we knew about this. The armies came after him. It was not a safe place for him. He went anyway. It says, you speak falsely. And they don't agree with you. They're going to try and drag it down. But they won't ever come against the truth. Because they know they cannot. Cannot come against the truth of the thing. 
But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hands of the Chaldeans, that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. So what they're saying is, we don't believe you. Your word is false. We think you have conspired with this one over here to make sure that we die. They have absolutely no proof. There is not a drop of proof anywhere because it never happened. There's no proof, but they have supposed it. And because they have supposed it, they imagine that there's proof there. Now we just need to, you know, set this in the minds of people. You've never seen anything like that today, have you? So, uh, let's see. So, Johanan, the son of Korea, all the captains of the forces and all the people who would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been driven, men, women, children, king's daughters, and every person who Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, and the son of Shaphan, Jeremiah the prophet, Baruch, the son of Neriah. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as Taphanes. When I saw that they went as far as Taphanes, the picture I get in my head when I read that is they went so far into Egypt, they even went as far as Taphanes. Isn't that the picture that you get? That's false. That is not true. You see, Taphanes is just barely over the border. And it actually is a city in which people who were coming into Egypt came there to be integrated into the, into the country. Kind of a port city for people. So, so they went to the land of Egypt and they did not obey the voice of the Lord and they went as far as Taphanes. Now look what comes next. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Taphanes saying, notice this, they made the long journey all through the wilderness and the Lord says nothing until they enter into Egypt and they come into this city. Not one that's all the way across Egypt, but one who just gets them into, the, into Egypt. They're here. Now the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Why now? Because now their disobedience is in place. Now they have gone to Egypt. The word was, don't go to Egypt. If they went to the wilderness, turned around and came back, they didn't go to Egypt. The word was, don't go to Egypt. They could have been in line with it. Up until the time they got to that city. When they got to that city, no longer. So now the word came to Jeremiah. It didn't come to him when they were in the wilderness. It came to him when he was in this city because now they're in disobedience. Now they've crossed the line. Now the word comes. Take large stones in your hand and hide them in the sight of the men of Judah in the clay in the brick courtyard which is in the entrance of Pharaoh's house in Tephanes. And say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal pavilion over them. And when he comes, he shall strike the land of Egypt and deliver to death those appointed for death, and to captivity those appointed for captivity, and to the sword those appointed for the sword. I will kindle a fire in the house, houses of the gods of Egypt, he shall bury them and carry them away captive and he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on his garments and he shall go out from there in peace. He shall also break the sacred pillars of Beth Shemesh and they are in the land of Egypt in the house of the gods 
of the Egyptians he shall burn with fire. So now this destructive prophecy comes because they are there. Now you have brought the, the condemnation of that prophecy is now down upon you because you're here. So the word comes, he speaks it out, it's too late. They can't go back now. They can't escape this. This is what's going to happen. God would have liked them to. They may even, through the wilderness, said, Jeremiah, do we, do we have any other words from God? He says, nope. What I have for you is, don't go to Egypt. And they're still on their way. Don't go to Egypt. And they, they kept on going. Verse 1 of 44. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell in Megiddo, at Taphanes, at Noph, and in the country of Pathros. These are all surrounding cities. They uh, had spread out there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger. And in, in that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods, whom they did not know, they nor you nor your fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. You did this in your history. I sent prophets to you in the history. You didn't listen to them. You were doing it. I sent prophets to you. They would get up early in the morning. They would come. They would bring the word. Don't do this. You did it anyway. So destruction came upon the cities of Judah. Now, after the city has been destroyed, verse 6, So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they are all wasted and desolate as it is this day. This is the results of ignoring the prophets that were sent. God sent the prophets because of their wickedness. The prophets were dispatched to warn them, but they didn't listen. And so after the destruction came, then... Another prophet, Jeremiah, was, was sent. And he said some things. One of them was, don't go to Egypt. What did they do? They went to Egypt. He's trying to show them, you're doing exactly the same thing that everybody else did. Don't say that you don't deserve this that you're in, because you did exactly what they did. They disobeyed the prophets, you disobeyed the prophets. Verse 7, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, child and infant, out of Judah, leaving none to remain, in that you provoke me to wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you have gone to dwell, that you may cut yourselves off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of, your, of their wives, your own wickedness and the wickedness of your wives which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. They have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. Notice that they have not humbled. They have not humbled themselves. They have not feared or feared the Lord. And they don't walk in the statutes. They're not doing these things. They're supposed to be, but they're not. Therefore, thus says the Lord. And the basis of that because of that disobedience, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for catastrophe. 
and for cutting off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. They shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by famine, and they shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. For I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive, lest they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell. For none shall return except those who escape. So again, we're going to have a small number because God's still trying to rebuild this nation, so we're going to have a small number. But the small number that we had before just got reduced to a much smaller number because of their disobedience. They're not learning from the past. They're not listening. They're being influenced by other things, not by the things of the Word. This is exactly what we face here today. And we have faced all through history. People are not yielding to the right spirits. They're not listening to the Spirit of God. They're listening to false spirits. John talked about don't listen to all the spirits. So you got to get out there and you got to test them. You got to find out what's going on. If you want to see a modern day example of some of these things that they, they saw in there, if you just look at the, the relationship in our country with intimate relations, it seems when you look at the movies, when you look at the shows that are on TV, I don't watch those shows anymore. But, you know, they were there a long time ago and I watched them. And it seemed like when two people went out on a date, that the date was expected to end in a certain way. And there, was, there should be a certain amount of intimacy that would occur. And this was instilled upon them. And so even now, you have Christians in the church who think that sexual immorality amongst those that are not married is fine. So much so that people in the church of God Feel no remorse for moving in and shacking up with somebody. They'll do that. They'll still go out to church. Still praise God. This is years ago. So long ago, only a handful of you might even remember anyone I'm talking about. <laughs> but, that, but we had it that a person who was involved in the ministry decided to move in with his girlfriend. And it came to my attention. Well, when it comes to my attention, I have to deal with it. And so I, I talked to him, yeah, well, we did that because that was, she didn't have any place to go. I was the only place, and so that's why we did it. I said, no. I said, first off, you tell me about something like that, and we'll find some place for her to go. Doesn't have to move in with you. I said, you got to get out of the ministry you're in. You can't be doing that stuff. Really? I have to? Yeah. Not only they got out of the ministry, got out of the church. Left. You, you, can't, you can't be doing that sort of stuff. But you see, we've gotten so relaxed with it. Because this is how it, how it goes. The enemy has worked on our single people to have relationships that are exclusive to marriage. And then he works on those that are married to have relationships like those that are dating. No intimacy in the one, lots of intimacy in the other. That's a satanic influence because God's influence is completely the opposite. Keep it out of here, out of the dating. Keep it in the marriage. 
Can you see how the church has allowed the influence of what is evil to come in and they don't even guard against it? That's just one example. But you can find more. This is what they were doing. They were allowing thoughts, ideas, perceptions of the world to influence how they responded to God. And when God came and spoke by his prophets, they, they turned it off. They rejected it. You will see this going on in the church and a lot of other issues, but we don't have time to hit all of them. You can figure that out on your own, right? Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods, with all the women who stood by a great multitude and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt in Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. Obviously, they don't think he spoke in the name of the Lord. You spoke this in the name of the Lord. We question the source and we're not going to listen to you. We will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven. I could tell you some things on the Queen of Heaven. Queen of Heaven is alive and kicking today. And pour out drink offerings to her as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food, were well off, and saw no trouble. Boy, they forget quick. But since we stopped burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. The woman also said, And we have burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? <laughs> they were just as involved in this as we are. So here's what they did. They took their history and they said all that calamity that happened, it didn't happen until we stopped sacrificing to the Queen of Heaven. The reason they stopped sacrificing to the Queen of Heaven was because they couldn't anymore. All that stuff was taken away. When Babylon came through, People were removed. People fled. They didn't have the opportunity. Now they said, we're going to set up an opportunity here in Egypt. We're going to begin to do this again. Because when we were doing it, we didn't have trouble. We had food. Things were going good. Is that true? We read that in there and we think, well, that must have been how it was. That's false. That's just like they do today. They just rewrite the history. They just rewrite what happened. That's not what happened. When they began to worship the Queen of Heaven and all these others, God brought calamity on them because he said he would do that in his word. Pestilence came. Droughts came. Crops were destroyed. Enemies came in and raided them. This is what happened while they were doing this. And then God sent his prophets in there and said, these calamities are coming because you are sacrificing to idols because you're doing these things. Now they get into Egypt and they have a completely different recollection of all this. They seem pretty convinced, don't they? How many of you people know folks in the world who are pretty convinced that what they think about happened, happened? And you may say, that didn't happen! It did not go on that way. How they remember stuff, this is not how it went on. Jeremiah is trying to tell them the history. This is the history. This is what you did. They say, no, that didn't happen. When we were sacrificing the Queen of Heaven, it was good. I don't know what you're talking about. It was good. It got bad when we stopped. So what we're going to do is we're going to start. They're misreading the signs. 
They do that today. They look at signs and they say, well, we must be doing something wrong. So they're going to start all this stuff up again. Verse 20. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the people, the men, the women, and all the people who had given him that answer, saying, The incense that you burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your princes, and the people of all the land, did not the Lord remember them and did it not come into his mind? So the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you committed. Therefore, your land is a desolation an astonishment, a curse, and without an inhabitant as it is this day, because you have burned incense and because you have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in His law, in His statutes or in His testimonies. Therefore, this calamity has happened to you as at this day. He's saying you are wrong. It did not happen because you stopped sacrificing to your idols. It happened because God brought it upon your land because of what you were doing. He didn't back down. Moreover, Jeremiah said to all the people and to all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, who dwell in the land of Egypt, behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt. You're not bringing me into this stuff anymore. You're all going to go out there and do what you said. Don't bring my name into this. I got no part of this. That my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God lives. Behold, I will watch over them for adversity. And not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end to them. Yet a small number who escaped the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah. And all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know whose words will stand. Mine or theirs. Doesn't that sound strikingly like Micaiah? And this shall be a sign to you. Here's the sign. We're going to show you a sign. Says the Lord that I will punish you in this place and that you will know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. What he's saying here is this. You came to Egypt seeking a safe place. I'm going to show you that's not a safe place because it's not where I told you to be. And it's so much not a safe place. I'm going to take Nebuchadnezzar, who I had come down to Judah, and tear that place apart. I'm going to bring him down here to Egypt. And he's going to do the same thing here to Egypt that he did up there. You thought you could escape? No, I'm bringing him down here. You're going to see the very same thing again. You went through it once. That wasn't enough for you. Now you're going to see it again. And many of you are going to die. Only a very small number are going to get out of this. Think God's man? They came to Egypt for safety. They won't find it. Again, the safe places. If you, if you get a chance, go back up. Read that. How many do not remember that one from Ezekiel, the safe places? If you were here, you remember it. It's one, what's one of those memorable ones? I remembered it. When I sat down there, I was thinking, which one should I get? I got, I could get safe places. There's a couple other ones that came to me too. But that was one of those ones that's just stuck in my head. Safe places, yeah. That's a, that's a lot of stuff that corresponds to that, to, to there. But here we go. 
let's, uh, let's wrap this up. In whatever the disobedient seek refuge from the things of God has, that God has sent upon them, God will bring those shelters down around them. Just know that. If you seek shelter from what God said is coming in a way that disobeys His word, that disobeys the prophetic utterance, that goes against what He spoke to us, if you go against it, what you try to avoid, it is going to find you. And whatever shelter you have, God will bring it down. That's what he's saying. Now, let me give you a couple of examples. A word from God may warn of a health issue. Don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever had God warn you, either in your spirit, uh, even maybe even a, a prophecy, warn you about a health issue? So a word from God may warn of a health issue, and we reject what God has spoken to pursue the shelter of a drug or a procedure. You may have a word from God that says, this has come upon you. And he may even tell you something to do. But we're like, he told you something to do about it. But if you will do, that will happen. This will happen. This will go. And we may hear that and reject it. I don't want to do that. I don't see where that will do any good. I'd rather go to the doctor and when he gives me a pill, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, if you just take this pill, you'll be okay. So I take the pill, I take the procedure because I rejected what God said. That pill or that procedure is not evil, it's not wrong. It became wrong for you because God says you'd be delivered if you did this. But in your head you said, I don't see how that's going to affect it. In your head you said, I can't do what God said for me to do. We've never said that, right? Somebody had a condition and God came up on the inside of you. Uh, get up early in the morning and go for a 30-minute walk. Anybody ever said that to you? God ever said that to you? Nobody. Well, if he had, some of you might be saying, I can't get up that early. I can't walk for 30 minutes. I can't do that particular thing. And you reject the word and we seek refuge in a pill or a procedure. That pill or that procedure is not wrong. But seeking the refuge from the word of God is. And so what you sought will come down around you. Somebody else may take that procedure and do fine with it. But they didn't have the word that you had. You've got to go with whatever God has said to do. Sometimes God has, has come upon people. He knows where their faith is. You have this and this wrong in your body. Go to the doctor. I know, I can tell you somebody who, who, who had this go on. Go to the doctor. This is what they're going to find. They're going to recommend an operation. You'll have the operation and you'll come out fine. They went to the doctor. They said, I think you'll find this and this and this is wrong. And they did this stuff. Yeah, that's what's wrong. And they said, we should do this procedure. He said, that's fine. <laughs> and they did the procedure and they came out fine. They came, now, you can reject that word by saying, no, I'm a faith man. I'm just going to believe God that this is going to go away and die in the process. That's what I mean by seeking refuge in something else. A word from God may speak to a job or a financial issue. You can't reject that. God may speak to a job. You may love your job. And God may say, that job's coming down. Move over here. And you don't do it. Now understand this, 
Just because God says to some people, this job is coming down, this financial situation is this way, this health situation is this way, do this, does not mean he said it to you. And what the devil will do is a lot of times he will tell people when they hear, well, somebody else, God told them, leave that job, invest in this thing, quit this, what you're doing health-wise, start this, what you're doing health, and they may mimic that. You cannot mimic that. If I mimic and do what somebody else's word was and claim that for me, I will fail. Because I sought refuge in that and not in the word of God. Understand this, the devil wants you destroyed. If God has you where he wants you, in a job that you're in, in a financial situation you're in, doing something health-wise that he wants you to do, the devil's going to try and get you out of it. He's going to do everything he can. If God has you eating healthy, and you did the discipline you needed to eat healthy, and you're doing the stuff, he's going to do everything he can to get you out of that eating whatever it is that's healthy for you. He's going to get you dissatisfied with your job. He's going to get you dissatisfied with the friends that you have that God has brought along your side to keep you along. In the, in the straight way. Whatever it is, if God wants you there, the devil is going to do everything he can to get you out. And don't think you are immune to it because Jehoshaphat fell for it and not just once. And I can list other, other Christians for you, other believers in the Word of God who fell for this. The devil distracted them because they did not know how to determine that word was for me, that word was from God. Because just as much as God will speak to somebody to move them from one situation, one situation to another, if God wants you in that situation, then the devil will speak to you too. How many times married people heard from God, leave your wife, leave your husband. You married the wrong one, I have someone better for you. Now I'm not saying that if you ever got divorced, you know, everyone missed God, or you can't go back and change the past. What we're trying to do is alter your future. Don't let the devil bring you in condemnation for your past. But be aware, the enemy is there trying to pull you out. Trying to get you to to go in the wrong directions. Now God often speaks to political situations. All through the word of God. He spoke to kings. He spoke to things they faced. He did it in the New Testament. He spoke about Herod. He spoke about things that were going on with Paul in relation to the governments. God will often speak about political situations. If we disobey the prophetic voice to follow our own way, seek refuge in a political party or a group of people who believe the same way, that refuge will come down around us. Cannot seek refuge there. Your refuge, your security must be in God. God, what has your word said? What has your prophets said? That's what I'm going to to side with. If I come to that and I side with the wrong one, the punishment from that prophecy will fall upon me. But know this, even though you are in a country that followed the wrong political path, did the wrong decisions, when you you distance yourself from it, then you you are saying, I am not in line with that. Therefore, and you've got to be vocal about it. I don't mean disagree quietly. I mean, people around you should know. <laughs> so-and-so, they don't believe in that. They don't think that that's so. They don't, they don't like our country having these laws or going in this direction or doing these particular things. They know it. Be vocal about it. Take a stand and say, I will not stand with that. Because when you do, when that 
negative thing comes down upon the country, guess what? It won't come near you. How many people in Jerusalem stood with the word of God? In this, during this time, this time we're reading about here in Jeremiah, how many people in Jerusalem stood with the word of God? One. Jeremiah, as far as we know, is the only one. When Babylon came down and they crushed all the other people, what did they do with Jeremiah? Do you remember what they did with Jeremiah? Jeremiah, how you doing? Man, I've been looking forward to meeting you. I know you had no hand in this. You tell you what, we're going to give you a ride back over to Judea and you have anything in there that you want. Whatever you want, it's yours. <laughs> Whatever Babylon brought down around the rest of the people, it did not come near him. Why? Because he sided with the prophetic word. When they took him down to Egypt, they took him, they had to tie him up, carry him on down. I am not going. And they carried him down there. This is how we got to be. When a prophetic word comes to the body of Christ, you are at a decision point. You either decide to believe it or decide to not. But you've got to have actions in line with belief that what God said is true. I don't always like what the prophets say. I don't always like the things that are going on. But this is what the prophet said. This is, this is, lines up with the word. I know this prophet is of God. I hear them give the prophecy and I, can, I know the hand of God is on them. But most times you won't like the word. That's why God has to deliver it through that, that method. Most times pastors get to teach words that people like to hear. Most times, not always. But most times we get to teach words that people like to hear. Prophets, not so much. More often than not, in the word of God, prophets are hated. They're imprisoned. They're beaten. They're not treated well. Doesn't go well for, for prophets. But you see, I've got to determine which ones are right. Which ones has God spoken to? And I've got to have my actions based, have faith-filled actions based on what they said. And then I put myself on the blessing side, not on the curse side. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for the prophets that you have put in the body of Christ. They are truly a gift. It's not one we always relish opening. It's not always one we relish how they present the word that they have. But Father, it's necessary. In your word, many times, the prophets heard things that no one else heard. Steered the country steered the people in a direction they probably didn't want to go. There's a lot of things in the natural that would tell them if we go that way, we will be destroyed. Just in this example, there's many things that told the people if we stay here, Babylon is mad with us because their guy got killed and one of our people did it. Surely they're going to come down on us. Everything that they could know about Babylon would tell them so. Everything in society would point to the fact that they were in trouble and fear built up. And when Jeremiah came with that wrong, or that, that word that went against what they thought was true, it was hard. 
and they rejected it. But the penalty came down upon them. Father, we want you to be able to bless us because of those prophetic words. As you said through Jehoshaphat, believe his prophets and you shall prosper. You can't just hear the prophets. We have to hear what they say and develop actions of belief because very subtle as a prophet give the instructions on how to obey it. Father, down in our spirit, you show us how we can have actions in faith with what's going on. And I thank you that even in this day, as prophets have been risen up and have said some things, some of those things may look like they're not coming about. But if they are of you, then what you have said will stand. And I would much rather be on the side of those who believe the word from God. So I thank you for your help that you give us, the instruction in your word to be able to determine who is false and who is right. That you lead us into a place to prosper. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.